Welcome to the Talk Hockey Radio review of the Euro Hockey Nations Championships 2021. We will go through the teams, the highlights, the key moments and a few other bits and bobs. Sadly, Taff can't join us as he's too upset about the results for England, but I'm joined by Fraser. Welcome, Fraser. Hi, Simon. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. I thoroughly enjoyed the Euros, so uh, the only regret I have is that they're over already. Yeah, I mean, I think it was covered by the the commentators in one of the semi-finals. It's, it's a shame that we only get a week. Yeah, and and a, a common thread on social media as well, and I think it maybe came across a little bit in some of the commentary was how enjoyable it was to see genuine competition not the um, sort of faux competition we sometimes see through uh, the FIH Fun League. Yeah, very much so. I think you could really see the difference in the competitive spirit. Yeah, I mean, we had some absolute classics. Uh, so anyway, we probably, rather than teasing the audience, we should uh, move on. So if we kick things off, we'll look at the women's side. Um, so starting with uh, the team who unfortunately finished last was Italy. Uh, what were your thoughts on them? Yeah, I thought they were a good competitive side in all the games that I saw them in. I never thought that they kind of looked out of place, which is something that I think really shows the competitive level of the European group of hockey teams. Yeah, obviously a few years ago, they surprised a lot of people at the World Cup, um, had a big shock over China. Um, So they've they've shown in the past that they can mix it up. And it's not like in any of the games that they were, you know, humbled. Um, They contested every game. They had moments and opportunities. So um, I think it's very encouraging for them. It's obviously a shame to go straight back down. Um, but I suspect we'll, we'll see them again in the not too distant future, hopefully. Uh, so, so next up was uh, Scotland, who unfortunately have also gone down. Uh, what did you think to them? Again, I thought they were a really competitive team. Um, obviously, they felt the the whip up against the Netherlands in the the group games. Was it ten nil? It finished up. Yeah. Um, and I think running up against a, a Netherlands women's team at the minute would there when they're in the mood for it they will take apart anyone but I thought in the other games they did again look competitive I know there was a lot of people talking about they could be kind of the the secret um secret competitive teams winning their way through because they've got a lot of strong players and it was just whether or not they could gel as a team going into the 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 competition yeah do you think they suffered a bit for the fact obviously a few of their key players are in the GB setup so wouldn't have been always available for, for test matches and for training yeah I think that's something that kind of goes across all three of the GB teams. I think there, there's always going to be that certain people will be unavailable because of higher commitments. And it's just how well the rest of them gel together when they, they feed back in. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, there were certainly some good moments and um, uh, in goal. Uh, Nikki Cochran, you know, really shown um, and showed what she can do. Um, of course, they've got the likes of uh, Costello, amongst others, who... Uh, really do have that opportunity and to me it's obviously a a big shame that they didn't have um, perhaps more time together but also the fact that they've had basically no domestic hockey up in Scotland for for ages now at least in England there has been some competition although the season was aborted I believe up in Scotland it's basically been no contact um, socially distant hockey in small groups is the most they've got to Um, so to go into a major championships and perform as well as they did is probably a real endorsement of the potential the side have. Yeah, I I mean, I agree. I think it's something that I was going to touch on a bit later, but I think you could see the, the British teams didn't have that same sharpness going into it. Mm. Uh, obviously, the, the three big winners that we're going to get to later all had 
complete seasons. Yeah. And I think they were the only three countries that had that. And I think it really showed. Yeah, definitely. Well, moving on, we've got uh, the Irish. I'll, I'll kick it off. I mean, for me, I think probably they're holding a little bit back ahead of uh, Tokyo. Um, and they were missing a few players to injury, unfortunately. Um, it's impossible not to mention the ridiculous goal uh, by Duke, which I think was named goal of the tournament, uh, and also set up by Anna Flanagan, who was probably the bright star for the side. Uh, did you have any thoughts on the Irish and, and, and how they got on? I mean, can we first talk about that goal? <laughs> so good. It's one of those goals that even though it was scored against England, I couldn't even be mad. That's like, <laughs> just such a good goal. It was. I mean, for me, the celebration was a bit tame. If I'd have scored that goal, there would have been about seven or eight victory laps of the pitch. <laughs> that would have taken me a good 45 minutes. Yeah, pose for selfies, sign a few autographs. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd have got pictures taken from the side of the pitch, got them printed, signed them and handed them out to all of the crowd. It was that good of a goal. Refer it to video so you can watch it again. If yeah, you yeah. <laughs> Ask for double double points. Yeah. Um, what made it stand out to you is like, for those who somehow haven't seen it, why to you is that such a good goal? It was just a really good passage of team play leading into a, you know, a, a good cross into a dangerous area and the commitment to get in there up against Hinch and uh, a another English defender who were also competing for it. And obviously the deflection looked fantastic, went into the top corner, I believe. Um, but yeah, just the, the passage of play leading up to it as well. It was just so good. Yeah. Well, I suppose uh, the fact it was scored against England moves us on nicely uh, to the next team uh, in terms of the reverse table rankings. Um, so uh, yeah, <laughs> your thoughts on England? Yeah. So again, as with the, the other British teams in the competition i do think that they did lack that level of sharpness from playing competitive hockey i think they were unfortunate in how they kind of came out of the competition at the end of the group stages because i do think that was kind of a match sharpness related issue um the equalizer coming in the final minute at a time where if they had had a full competitive season maybe they'd have been more comfortable just playing for time and getting the ball out of a dangerous area Whereas because they didn't have that match sharpness, the decision-making wasn't quite there and it led to them turning over and giving away the penalty corner. Um, I don't want to join in with the, the hinge backing, but obviously she'll be very disappointed to have let that one in. So, yeah, it was um, not what they were looking for leading into the Olympics, but I think it does give them a little bit more uh, match sharpness, as I've said. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. It will, it's a, you know, the highest competition that a lot of them had, or in fact, the only competition a lot of them have had. Uh, I think only Erica Sanders um, has had a complete season uh, playing in, over in Holland. Um, I think there's some good things to take from it. The odd bit here and there. I think a lot of the players who got called up at the last minute, either due to injuries um, and whatnot, they all stepped up very well, which shows there's a lot of talent coming through. Uh, and there's obviously been a lot of criticism, uh, particularly on social media, about how the results went and some of the performances. But it's worth also picking out that you know, in the past, we've not seen much progression from younger players coming into the squad. And pretty much every time Hager's called up a young player, for me, they've delivered. Um, and that's been very pleasant to see that that faith is, and that confidence has been repaid. Uh, and it's just going to be about, hopefully a matter of time before they sew it together. I will dive in a bit on the Hinch 
criticism. So I tweeted during during the event, uh, seen a bit of criticism of one England player this evening. She is her harshest critic and set, sets high standards for herself. There's no benefit in a pile-on. She saved the day countless times and will do so again with support. Get behind them all and push for World Cup qualification, which is what they've delivered. Um, you know, anyone who has listened to Hinch uh, at matches or heard her in training or seen her in training, uh, listened to the podcasts that she's done, will know that absolutely 100% she is her harshest critic. And um, whilst I'm sure in the sort of now that she's had some time to reflect, a lot of the opinions people have expressed probably they're not qualified to be considered. It is hurtful for the players when they need that support to have people laying into them. And it reminds me of uh, a time quite a long time ago now, but I was chatting with uh, Tibor Weissenborn, who played for Germany, and I, I asked him, you know, how, what's the culture like? How do you guys keep on winning? What's it like with Germany and, and that support you have? And he said, if if I ask you who are the best 11 players in the world, you'll list Turndanoia, you'll list Takuma, you, you might list me, you might list... Um, you know, he goes on and he's like, you'll name one or two English guys, one or two British guys. If you ask a German, they'll list the, the starting 11 of Germany. And there's this absolute dedication to supporting the team and getting behind them no matter what. And yeah, there will be times where they're disappointed, but they know that shouting abuse, either pitch side or through social media, isn't going to suddenly make a player turn around and go, do you know what? Yes, I did. I did muck up there. I will be better next time. Thanks for the tip. Um, so I thought it was it was uncalled for a lot of criticism, um, and she's now addressed it uh, publicly on on social media. Um, and I think she came good in the end as well with her performances after that. And the fact is, goalkeepers are ones where if they make a mistake, everyone sees it. If a forward mistraps a pass, they have another chance, uh, and it's not seen as doing the damage, is it? Um, no, that's it. Goalkeepers have no safety net. Yeah. Whereas everyone else on the pitch, you can mess up, you can mistrap the ball, you can give a bad pass. Goalkeepers make one mistake, it's usually going to cost a goal. Yeah. Well, anyway, we perhaps should move on to brighter things <laughs> than uh, that debacle of, of uh, treatment that she got. Um, so moving on, we move to Spain, who possibly might have been going into this as as potential medal favourites, I dare say. Um, they ended up finishing fourth. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Spanish yeah, I thought they were really exciting to watch. Lively in play, always attacking. I, like I say, just uh, I really enjoyed all the Spanish women's games. Yeah, just, for me, sorry. I was just going to say, just really good, entertaining hockey. Yeah, incredibly dynamic. They, I think they did get a domestic season just about done, but it was in a fairly condensed manner. That, that may have helped. Um, but they haven't had very many international fixtures. Um, uh, so they've trained a lot together, but not really been able to test themselves against others. And... Obviously, they're going to be disappointed. Um, but on the other hand, I would hope and expect they're holding stuff back again for Tokyo. Um, this is a Spanish team we've played together for a very, very long time. Uh, so I think there's a lot to come. It'd be very interesting to see how Tokyo goes. Um, so whilst I, I suspect, of course, they're disappointed, hopefully they can take a lot of momentum from what they've done at this tournament forward. So that brings us then to the bronze medalist, uh, which is Belgium. Um, so... I obviously work with and know a few of the players and, and spend a lot of time there. So for me, it's kind of like a second team. So I was very happy <laughs> to see the uh, see the women get what they deserve, I think. Um, it's a young group and they've come through a difficult period, having seen a number of senior players step away. Um, 
but they've got talent across the pitch. Um, Mandan Bora has started popping up with goals left, right and centre. Ombra, a lot of people say she's a star of the future. For me, she's a star of now. And in fact, I nominated her for the Young Player Award last in 2019. Um and uh, people like Tiff at the back, who have great distribution, they're a threat on penalty corners. Uh, there's a lot of newcomers in the last, even in the last six months or so, who've come into the squad. Uh, so obviously they're not going to Tokyo. However, this I think is laying down a marker and saying to everyone, this is what they're capable of. Uh, and they they did very well in a, a number of matches and surprised a few people. Uh, what did you think of the Belgians, of the, uh, of the Red Panthers? Yeah, definitely. As you say, the kind of surprise team I don't think anyone kind of had their cards marked for how well they performed and one thing I would say watching their games is they played with the confidence of a team much higher ranked than they are like the the England game for example they are they went one nil down in a game where they needed to get a point to go through in the top two positions there was a minute left and they played as if they had the rest of the game another 70 minutes to go and get it 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 never looked kind of panicked or worried which i think a lot of teams around them in the world rankings in that situation would have done yeah no definitely i think it's it's really pleasing to see and exciting for what will happen in the future and the euros in germany in two years time could be maybe even better for them uh and hopefully fingers crossed uh showing my absolute bias there uh they'll be at paris as well um so that then moves us on to the gold gold medal match so finishing second we had germany um for myself the only real observation is um <laughs> they've shown me wrong and uh responded fairly well to dropping um muller and uh gablach um obviously the results until the final were really good uh what, what did you think of germany yeah it just the the match sharpness really shone through their passing was really crisp their movement was excellent and I mean in some of the games they were just playing the opposition off the park at times even at times where they weren't getting the goals they were creating the out kind of the outcome they wanted in the attacking play and again it was kind of that inevitability of when they were going to get the goal not if and that confidence and composure just throughout the game I think saw them through a lot of difficult sections yeah I think it, it was good and probably with all respect to other, other teams they were the only team really who you could see potentially denying the gold medal uh, to the Dutch um, so that probably moves us on nicely to the hosts uh, what did you make of them? I mean the Dutch women's team at the minute is the Dutch women's team they are so dominant in all of their games like we've already talked about the the Scotland game where they came out with a passion and wanted to put goals away and scored 10 but I I don't think in any of the games that I saw them play they ever looked like they weren't gonna come through with the win the final as you say is the closest they came to to being challenged but even then I their style of play just exudes that we're going to win this game you can put up a fight but we're going to win this game yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's almost like it's it's they're like Thanos. It's inevitable. Um, <laughs> no matter what happens, no matter what tricks you try, they will end up winning in the end. Um, perhaps they're not quite as uh, nasty as him, but they're certainly as ruthless. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just the only question I had was how, you know, with that squad, with how well they played, they've got some injuries to still accommodate. It was obviously great to see uh, Ava de Huda um step back up and obviously she has that brace around her arm but it didn't really seem to impede her too much um no. uh so, but they've still got the likes of velton and uh zandavar uh to come back that's, that's terrifying <laughs> 
isn't it really yeah that's it like it, it's looking terrifying going into the olympics to have them go to the european championship which is probably the most contested of the the continental championships and be that dominant yeah well before we move on to the men should we just discuss sort of who stood out across the park for you in terms of like the young player player of a tournament goalkeeper anything else yeah i mean you can't really look past matler for just sheer presence in the in the circle even in games where she didn't score she was in there and pulling defenders out of out of the way to create opportunities for teammates and i think that's something that's kind of overlooked a lot of the time with her play because she is getting so many goals but because she's that threat she can move the defense out of the way to create the opportunity for her teammates to come in mm. yeah i i can't really disagree uh the, the goals were exceptional um yeah just she's pretty much a complete player and she's still so incredibly young as well um again back to that analogy they are just, she's just terrifying isn't she imagine having to play against that one nightmare yeah but playing with her must be an absolute pleasure <laughs> it's like you get a ball in the circle you're probably going to score and if you don't you're definitely going to get a short corner see i bet playing on the same team of her with her as a nightmare as well because we talked about you know you have that opportunity to play a miss pass as an outfielder i bet she'd come down hard yeah that pass was terrible we could be five nil up by now if you were passing better and you wouldn't be able to argue with her yeah that's true i did like though i can't remember which game it was in but someone referred a goal she scored and she just couldn't believe i had the audacity to suggest that she'd made a technical skill error um and I, there was a really funny exchange caught on camera between her and um margot for uh just discussing it clearly waiting for it to be given and, and knowing it was coming but it just made me chuckle to sort of see see that reaction um i mean for me other players who stood out um obviously i've i've, bang, I've banged this drum for a while but i think for england anna Toman was fantastic um just doesn't seem to struggle at all under any pressure a good outlet for us someone who can carry an attack as well as sweep up at the back uh likewise laura unsworth um put in some amazing performances as she always does to be fair to her um but it's hard to notice because she's kind of like the Paul Scholes of a team and just sort of no one really notices just how brilliant she is um but when she does eventually retire in 70 years time we will miss her um I think as I mentioned earlier Anna O'Flanagan for the Irish was amazing uh so dynamic great vision uh basics are fantastic um and obviously we could mention the entire Dutch team most of the Germans <laughs> Uh, but anyway, when we look at the younger players who stood out for you see I'm struggling with that um, you might have to come back to me that's alright well for me I would say Ombra from Belgium of course um, like I said she's not a star of the future she's a star of now uh, she is always a threat in the circle she's got some incredible instinct for how to finish shots there was one where she took down an aerial and then hit it sort of on the half volley in an upright position um, and it's not a skill you see terribly often uh, but to have that presence of mind was great there was some amazing drag flick goals and then also just beyond that I like the fact that she's uh, her, her use of things like social media is something that I think the likes of self pass will be big fans of she really shows the fun and, and the enjoyment of the game and it's not just go out there bosh a few goals and jobs done she shows her character and she shows her why she loves the game and and all that um, so for me she's a great one um yeah have you have you got any further thoughts have you have you composed any no <laughs> i'm too convincing yeah 
All right, should we move on to goalkeepers before we go into the men? Yeah, I mean, it, it almost seems kind of pointless picking the Dutch keepers. They have so little to do. But that's it. So for me, I was going to say, I think Koenig, her final performance was exceptional. Yeah. There were times where really they could have lost that without, with respect to Vanadal, Koenig was sublime. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, I think her performance in that final kind of radiates that confidence forward through the team and drives them forward to that victory mentality. I think they couldn't play like that without having confidence in their goalkeeper behind them. Yeah, yeah. When I when I interviewed Ashleen Dog, uh, the the Belgian goalkeeper, I asked her who she rates, and she picked out Anna Vanadal on the basis that she doesn't have much to do, but when she does, she's always there, she's always ready, and the opposition might only get two or three chances at goal, but there's a reason that most games end up with no goals against the Dutch, um, and regardless of which one is goal, they do seem to be on another plane compared to everybody else right now. And I think that in itself is a testament to how good they are as goalkeepers. Mm. It'd be very easy in that team to kind of drift off and not be mentally sharp when the opportunity for the opposition came to make the save. Like say she only has maybe four or five things to do in a game. But as we've already discussed, goalkeeping errors usually result in a goal. So having that confidence that even though they might only have a couple of things to do, when called upon, they're going to be on it. Yeah, I think has a lot of weight to any team performance. No, definitely. Right, shall we move on to the men? Let's. So, finishing last was Russia. Now, for me, this might be a bit controversial. I'm not really sure they should be in the tournament on the basis that Russia's banned from most international sports events, but the reason they're allowed in this one is because it's not seen as a high enough level of competition in terms of the tiering of international sports. Um, So, to me, they shouldn't really be in it. However, I I suspect there isn't much... uh, (laughs) doping or whatever taking place in their field hockey team it's probably not the highest priority sport uh, for any programs um, and they did compete very well and put in some exceptional performances some very thrilling games um, I think their captain shown very well uh, I, I don't I can't possibly even pretend to pronounce any of their names correctly so I'm not going to bother trying uh, but their their ginger head forward as well uh, produced some some amazing finishes um, and yeah, I think whilst perhaps they shouldn't have been there, uh, the fact is they did compete, they did represent, and they'll probably go back into the second division with a lot of confidence that they could return. Yes, I think one of the commentators mentioned that they were kind of a surprise qualification team. So everyone expected a, a different team to go up and Russia were able to get the results and go up in their place. But I don't think that entering into the competition they played like that. So in the opening game against England, they held them for the first half in a real stalemate. And I can only assume that England got a real dressing down because they came out the second half and played one of the best halves of hockey they played throughout the tournament to get the win. And I think other teams kind of saw that initial that initial game, having possibly thought that they were going to be uh, kind of a whipping boy team and would be a walkover and they wouldn't have to take them too seriously. I think every other game after that, teams came out from the first whistle and kind of put them to task straight away. So I think, as you said, they they gave a really good showing and there was some excellent games. Was it the Russia-France game? Yes. That Was was it 6-5 in the end? Yeah, it was an absolutely mental game of hockey. I mean, it was don't-look-away excitement. <laughs> yeah, and that, 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 goes, that you know, proves that point that a lot of people made. But this, in terms of world rankings, these were not some of the best teams in the world. 
but the level of hockey, the competition, the performance level was so much higher than some of what we've seen in the Pro League. Um, so it, it does go to show that once there's something really there to compete for and teams have a, a real purpose about it, you can see some amazing hockey. We don't need to necessarily change everything there. So just finishing ahead of them was Wales. Um, I suspect it's a disappointment for them. Well, I'm very confident it is. Um, they obviously stayed up a few years ago and had some memorable results and performances. Um, I suspect, like we've said, a lot of their struggle was down to the fact that about 90% of the squad didn't play this season. Um People seem to have figured out how to handle Gareth Furlong on short corners to an extent, which was a big weapon, unfortunately, holstered because um, he's, he's an exceptional hockey player and a great flicker. Um, but it looks like they had him very much scouted. But there were still moments, I think, uh, was it Nautily, uh had some great finishes and some good moments. Um, but yeah, for me, it was, it was disappointing. I, was, I had... I had great expectations, um, and of course, no one's going to be hurting more than them. But it was it was a shame to see how it ended up for the Welsh. What were your thoughts on the Welsh, on the Wales boys? Yeah, I think largely kind of in line with what you just said. I think there were moments where you could see that kind of spark coming through, but just the the lack of fierce competition in the past twelve months or so kind of showed. Uh, at other times during the games, just mentally switching off and giving players a little bit too much space, allowing them to play uncontested passes through the circle and as you say the the fact that people seem to have the penalty corners scouted really did take a, a feather out of their their holster let's say yeah well that, that moves us on to for me probably the best kit uh holders uh france so what did you make of the french Le Bleu? oh they were great just never say die attitude in every game uh, we've already touched on the 6-5 game, but I mean, they were they had several closely fought games, which could have easily gone either way. And again, as I said, that never say die attitude always makes their games exciting to watch. Mm. Because even if they are behind by several goals, they're not going to give up and they're going to get stuck in. Yeah, yeah, they completely pulled themselves back into it in one of them, didn't they? And then with Germany, I think they actually they took a, a lead and uh, unfortunately lost out, but quite a shock, I think, for a lot of people uh, if you tuned in to see that France were winning 5-3 against Germany. Yeah, again, just the, the French games all were, don't look away. Mm. Like you had to be paying attention because it, it could go either way at any moment. Yeah, and of course, uh, Van Straten, who's shown a lot for the French, helped contribute to probably one of the new uh, common phrases of hockey, seagulling, when uh, a ball is inevitably going in the goal. It's definitely going to be a goal, but you tap it in just in case, so you get the goal. And uh, that was a nice contribution by Todd Williams, I think, on the commentary, uh, and has now been doing the rounds on social media, and hopefully that is a phrase that will stay with hockey and move into the coaching handbook. Uh, I am 100% sure I have heard that somewhere else before. Really? I had not, and I loved it. Oh, it's great. It's, it's so accurate. It's the best description of it. Yeah, no, it was a funny moment when Nick Irvine was explaining it to Helen Richardson Walsh and you could hear her sort of chuckling to herself uh, as she sort of digested it. Um, so, yeah, well, clearly it's a, you know, she's from the South like me, so it's a Northern thing then. I mean, maybe. I, I If I could remember exactly where I'd heard it, I would, <laughs> I would tell you. But since I can't remember, I'm claiming it. Fair enough. So... Now, here was a bit of a surprise. Team that finished fifth, so we believe they qualified for World Cup, um, but it's probably lower than they'd have liked to have been, uh, Spain. Yeah, I think the Spanish, again, have that 
never say die attitude and I think having watched them in the pro league they always came out strong and I don't know I just I feel like they were maybe holding something back in their games because of the the tournament format rather than uh, the kind of two-game weekend that we've had in the pro league Mm. but they just didn't seem to come out with the same kind of attitude I mean maybe that is like I say because of the tournament format they're they're not sure they've got the the energy to, to carry it through all of their games I know having watched them in the Pro League in the past, they've come out very strong in the first game uh, and looked a lot more reserved in the second, in the weekend. So maybe that fed into it a little bit. But yeah, I think you're right that they would be a little bit upset to not go through into the the semi-final games. Yeah, I mean, my my I, I I like the Spanish. I think they generally play some really entertaining hockey. Um, they've got some exceptional players. Leonard to this day is one of my favourite players I've ever watched live. Um, and Cortez in goal. I've always had a soft spot for. Um, but yeah, I think they'll be disappointed, but I'm hoping that a part of that is because they were holding back a bit, maybe, for Tokyo. But one thing I think hopefully they can take as a positive is if we going back to Pro League, like you mentioned, um, one of the benefits of us having no crowd is we can hear very clearly what's going on with the umpires. And when they played against Britain, you could hear uh, Hannah Harrison and Dan Barstow, I think, having to really knuckle down on them about their indiscipline and the back chat and all that sort of stuff and i don't remember that being a problem of this tournament I, from what i remember there was no sort of emotion spilling over they remained actually quite disciplined on that front which isn't something perhaps we could have seen so much in the past um so for me whilst there's a lot of disappointment for them hopefully that's one of the positives they can take from it yeah and we've talked about it in the past that there was always going to be a, a kind of muted performance in these European championships with yeah. the Olympics right around the corner. You're not going to throw all your cards down on the table at this point when there's something more to play for in a, a matter of weeks. Um, and as you say, I hope that is what kind of has caused this uh, drop in the Spanish against what was kind of expected of them. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to fourth place. Uh, do you want to introduce the team who finished fourth? No, we're not talking about it. <laughs> are you hurting about it no to be fair i think fourth is a very good result um it's always good to see them getting in the mix in the semi-finals again i think they're very unlucky to have come across uh three teams that finished above them that have had their season completed obviously england did manage to get the win in the group stages against belgium uh, i thought that was a really strong performance again though they did concede possibly the goal of the tournament in the Germany game, the the breakaway goal with the lob. Again, it's something special, which is nice. You know, to score against England, you've got to do something spectacular. But... Especially with Oli Payne. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, was to give a Konami got a code of goals. It was ridiculous what he did. Um, I mean, for me, I, I, I read Brendan Creed's uh, post today. Uh, so we're recording this on Monday, the 14th of June. Um, and he spoke about the disappointment and the pain. And that's obviously what you want to see and what you expect of elite sport and how disappointed he was of it all. But for me, as someone who who is trying to support and, and wants to see progress, that's all I saw was progress. It was amazing to beat the best team in the world of a group stage. That's unreal. Um, to be disappointed to lose to the best team in the world. I know it was a bronze medal match, but the fact is everyone knows the Belgians are still the best team in the world. Um, so that's a good position to be in, especially when you compare it to 2019 when they were in a relegation pool and it was hard to argue that they didn't deserve anything better. Than, sorry, but they, you know, they, they deserve to be there. Um, and there were some standout performances. I think Roper has continued to shine 
uh, as, a, as a great goal scorer. And obviously he's also come back from that injury and it didn't really seem to tell that he'd had an, uh, had a bit of time off. Um, Wallace was pulling out some amazing stuff. And then Ollie Payne was just exceptional. So for me, there's a lot of positives to take, despite the fact, obviously, it's a disappointment. Um, and with them going back to the Great Britain team set up uh, once they've finished their uh, quarantine period, um, it's going to be exciting to see what they can do in Tokyo. Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, there's so many strong performances. I'd like to call out, I think, in the Russia game when they came out for the second half, the first goal was made by Phil Roper taking on, I believe, all of the Russian team apart from the goalkeeper inside the D before slipping it to the teammate for the finish. Yeah. Just kicking and screaming, dragging them forwards. I thought it was an excellent performance by him and should be called out as such. The commentator, I think, said Zach Wallace's name around about 500 times per game, which just shows how involved he was in driving us forward. And like you say, Ollie Payne in goal, to say that he is such a, a relative newcomer to the international scene, um, I think he's only had a handful of international caps at this point. Yeah. But you wouldn't have thought it. It was his England debut as well. Yeah. I think he's played three sets of Pro League games for yeah. GB and then this was his England debut. But the some of the saves that he was pulling out, he made them look so casual when they were actually very complicated. And I think it's really highlighted when you have uh, Simon Mason doing commentary who can explain exactly what is involved in the save to just understand how complicated it is despite how easy he was making it look yeah i mean for me obviously as a photographer at these events uh, i always love seeing the facial reactions and little interchanges between players and i remember one of the chances that he saved it was off tom boone where realistically that should have been a goal i think he was unmarked effectively in the circle he got himself free and was maybe 10 yards out on his reverse and the look on boone's face was like yeah okay fair enough that's a cracking save like sort of like a real knowing nod of respect and to get that from he's an amazing striker um just relentless goal scoring machine so it shows the, the level that Payne's ascended to very quickly um so it'll be interesting to see how selection goes uh, for Tokyo, I suspect, on that one. Uh, so that then brings us to the bronze medalist, uh, Belgium. Uh, so, of course, a bit of a shock for a lot of people that they ended up there. Uh, they, they they reached the bronze medal match by losing on shuttles uh, to Holland. Um, they just never seemed to get going, really, did they? Um, and again, hopefully, from, from my completely biased point of view, uh, this is down to the fact that they're holding stuff back for the Olympics. But that said, I know it meant a lot to them to hopefully have been holding the European, the world and the Olympic title all at the same time. Uh, what did you make of the Belgian uh, sort of conceding the title, unfortunately, for them? Yeah, I think I would describe it as a muted performance from Belgium. I don't think they broke out any kind of penalty corner variation of push to top, shoot a goal. Yeah, there, there wasn't any routines run that we've seen them use in the past. So my assumption is that they're being held back for something down the line. They still created a lot of chances and I think they they didn't take as many as I was expecting them to. Now, that's not something that they're going to hold back on. So it, it's possibly uh, a chink in the armour going forward. Maybe it's due to fatigue because I know they had the winner's weekend not that long before. And again, I thought they looked very muted in that performance against the Netherlands. But they they still have some absolutely standout players who can on a dime just change the, the entire 
entire match play. Uh, people like Arthur Van Dora, who is just so composed on the ball. No matter where he seems to pick it up, it appears like he's got acres of space to run into. Even when he's got five or six players around him, he's still exactly the same as if he was walking up the pitch with no one challenging him. Yeah, I don't think they had... Uh, the greatest of attacking play that we've seen from them in the past. So maybe that is something that they're they're working on going forward, or maybe they were trying to play a different system to throw people off and it just didn't create as many chances or as many clear cut chances as they usually create. Yeah. They picked up quite a few cards, which I think retrospectively they probably would have acknowledged they didn't need to pick up. You know, sometimes you're willing to take a card if it denies an opportunity, but a lot of these were in the centre of a pitch. Uh, not on a break, um, so it was just normal play, but bad breakdowns or, or sloppy tackles, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I suspect we might see a different Belgium in a few weeks' time. So that brings us to the final. Uh, we've already mentioned uh, silver medalist Germany uh, with Velen's goal against England being a standout moment. But for myself, uh, Ruhr and uh, Florian Fuchs were just unbelievable all-tournament it was insane what they were producing. Um, and across the board, the Germans, uh, entertainers <laughs> to the fore there. Uh, what were your thoughts on Germany? I mean, you've called them up. Fuchs and Ruhr are just something else. Like, the amount of chances that they created just themselves. Um, and again, that confidence that they're going to get a result. The number of times where they were behind and dragged themselves back into the game kind of in the last few minutes or a couple of times with kind of extra time penalty corner goals to take the win. It's just unbelievable to watch at times. I know Ruhr got a lot of criticism uh, for the penalty that he was awarded for the player running into the back of him. Oh, is that it, on, the, on the Dutch penalty corner where he... Yeah, I think in real time it looks a lot more like a dive than when they showed it slowed down from a different angle. You could see that he does kind of take Ruhr's leg. Mm. There's maybe a bit of theatrics thrown in there just to make sure the penalty stroke was awarded rather than a penalty corner, but it was a, a clear-cut incident for me that it was going to be a stroke. Yeah, definitely. And we saw with uh, was it for it was Thierry uh, Brinkman playing for Blumendahl, uh, getting getting one of his opponents red carded, and some people accused him of theatrics there. For me, Ruhr's reaction was was fair. He had his back. He was beginning the turn, and he got nailed. Um, and he yeah. Won. You'd and I think a, a stroke there. Yeah, and I think the fact that he's turning and the defender takes his standing leg, there, there's no other option than going down. Mm. And I think sometimes people lean towards wanting to call it out because obviously it's very prevalent diving in a, another sport that's not quite as good as hockey. Football, I believe it's called. You mean a 10 metre diving board? Uh, yeah, no, you're right. It is true. There are a lot of people who are very preoccupied and concerned that football stuff is is leaking into our game. Um, but to me, Ruhr is not someone that reeks of bad sportsmanship or something. He seems yeah. like a, a, a pure player, um, a very exciting prospect. And actually, another another one from Germany is Martin Hainer, um, who is just not someone I'd really ever thought of as a particularly massive threat on. He's not an iconic drag flicker, but he did just bang him away, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah. Um, and uh, he, he is a he is a known drag flicker, but he's not sort of one of the ones that when you go to a tournament you think, yep, this is the one. Uh, but he really stepped it up. Um, so across the board, I think they were fantastic, and it, it'll be very exciting to see if this continues because you would assume, like the others, they were holding some stuff back. Um, if they were holding stuff back and they were that good, that's going to be a problem for everybody else. Yeah. 
so that brings us again to the host uh, and the gold medalist, uh, the Dutch. So uh, enjoy the, the final and their performance across the tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's an odd situation when the Dutch are doing what Germany is famous for against Germany in a final of getting the equaliser in the last few seconds of the game to take it to the, the shootout. Um, I thought they played very well in the group stages and then had two very battling performances in the semis and the final. I think we've already mentioned that both went to, to shootouts. Yeah. And just their consistency throughout the shootouts, I thought was excellent. And again, it's that kind of confidence going into it that they're going to get the result and that never say die attitude. But I mean, uh, Yip Janssen in the final, the confidence going into a penalty corner to equalise the European final and he casually runs over to the bench and asks what they should do trots back across to top d and puts the ball away to take it into the shootout um and the other thing i'd like to say was great to see was uh, did you notice when they won in the shootout the team immediately ran to black who was stood off to one side yeah which i think just shows how strong his performance was in the two uh, semi-final and final shootouts and they knew how much they had depended on him yeah yeah again uh you know in a, in the previous episode we had called out some of the selections and i uh said i didn't necessarily agree with um black being selected ahead of uh Fisser. however yep he's proved me wrong um he was uh, and, and he was very good about you know when he petulantly got himself green carded he fessed up and you know was accountable about it in in the press briefings he did um held his hands up and accepted he'd done something silly um and he definitely atoned for that um with some amazing theatrics and goal like the stuff he produced was insane um i mean it's also worth mentioning Kroon, uh his the fact that he uh was able to be so composed uh despite having lost his grandfather the week previous to the tournament um and uh, you could see the emotional release when he scored the winning one against uh, Belgium in the semi-final and what that meant for him. But the main thing for me is, I think, if you look back at the last few years of the Dutch team, they wouldn't have had the resilience to get to a draw and then win a shootout. They would have lost, flat-out lost, in those situations. Uh, this was different and not something we've seen for a long time from them, where you know, it, again, it's you turn up, you play hockey, you lose to the Dutch. Um, that happened again for the first time in a long time. Uh, so I think also credit to to Max Caldas. He certainly had his detractors in Holland. Um, he seems, well, he's an amazing bloke and an exceptional hockey coach when you look at his track record. So for his last last fixture on home soil with the Dutch to be winning the European title, I think is a wonderful way for him to sign off in front of the home crowd. Um, and I'm sure they'll they'll take some momentum into the uh, into Tokyo from that. So that then leads us on to who stood out for you, who the goalkeepers were, who the young people were of a tournament. I mean, we've already mentioned Black as goalkeeper. Yeah. I think he got player of the match in both the semi and the final. Yeah. But he he must have saved the the result for them so many times during the the semi and final that it kind of feels almost like they're underselling it by just giving him player of the match. Mm. Um, his like you say his group game antics were not the best but he did fess up to that and he did step up his performances going forward so for me he's got to be the the standout goalkeeper of the tournament but as we've already mentioned Ollie Payne playing as if he's a 10-year vet while making his England debut is something that kind of is probably flagging up on a lot of people's radars going forward yeah 
of he's definitely one to watch. Yeah, I can't disagree with either of those. I think Kane was exceptional, but it's impossible to look past the contribution and the impact that Plark made in the games that mattered. Uh, and that's where yeah, that's where they, they make the big bucks in hockey. <laughs> yeah. In, in, the, in the semi-final and the finals of the European Championships to, to pull it out from that and to uh, reject what had happened in the past and to deal with it was was amazing. Uh, then looking at young player, for me, I think it's hard to see beyond Wallace. Um, he was a very exciting team. There was a lot of talent across the tournament, but for, as you mentioned, he was mentioned, I think, by the commentators on average 500 times in the game. Um, he just He's a firecracker of a player. And That's it. It's that involvement as well from a young player and playing with that confidence of I'm going to go and make something happen. Mm. And I honestly think the little voice in the back of your head when you're going to do something stupid that says, no, don't do that, he doesn't have it, because his decision-making at times, I was watching it going, no, don't do that, oh, it's worked, oh, it's worked, oh, it's worked again, oh, it's worked, okay, maybe maybe he's making a good decision then, and I just don't understand it. Yeah, the laws of physics don't apply to Zach Wallace. No, clearly not. But also the composure that he showed in certain games. So he put away a penalty stroke in a tight game at an important time. You wouldn't expect that from a young player. You'd expect that to go to kind of, I don't want to say an old head, but a more experienced player you yeah. think would, would bear that responsibility. The fact that it went to him kind of shows how much confidence they have in him. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. And on, on player of a tournament, for me, Rua stood out. Just every game, he was a menace. Every game, he could do something exceptional. Um, obviously, couldn't quite carry it over the line, but at that level, it's, it's tiny little margins. But for me, consistently throughout the tournament, he was on another level to everybody else. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he, he one of those players you can't take your eye off for a second because he will get the ball and he'll make something happen. And whether that's winning a penalty corner, getting a goal, winning a penalty stroke, you just can't give him any sort of time on the ball. But apparently you also can't make a challenge on him either because he will just turn that into something else. So we've got two other topics to discuss. I think let's go with one that's probably not so positive first. So um, the coverage. Now, we're both obviously in the UK. Uh, We had BT Sport. Um, There were some well-publicised technical issues which affected both BT Sport and the Eurohockey TV uh, channel. But what did you make overall of the coverage? Overall, I would say it was pretty good. I could watch all the games. I didn't have to go through ridiculous number of press the red button, go to sub channel category B, press this combination of buttons to get the game on, which has happened sometimes for Pro League games. Um, There was a lot of disappointing drops in quality, things like the commentary disappearing uh, from the start of the game. At certain points when the commentators weren't uh, being broadcast, they didn't put a message up or they put a message up briefly. So if you joined partway through, you wouldn't know what the problem was. Um, I found it really annoying that they kept saying we're about to watch a highlight package and then cut to an ad break. Uh, and then going into the the men's final day, uh, there was actually a problem with the schedule uh, watching through Virgin Media. So I didn't get to watch the first 15 minutes of any of the games on that day if I wasn't watching live because uh, if I wanted to watch the recording, the first 15 minutes was cut off. So I joined the game just before the end of the first quarter. Mm. which you know in a game where certain certainly in some games in the first quarter uh, there can be several goals scored it's a bit of a, an annoyance to have to deal with something like that yeah yeah definitely agree I mean for me 
I've I've always had issues with BT Sports coverage finding one of the games under the squash section uh, or things just not starting on time or, or falsely advertised was frustrating and the let's go to the highlights here's a dog sat on a sofa making a joke about short corners um, it got a little bit tiresome to miss out on that you know if you're paying through the nose for the coverage you'd like to actually be able to see it um, I know there was a lot of criticism about that from uh, people on social media for Eurohockey TV with it dropping out. From what I've read, it sounds like it wasn't technically their fault. Uh, but of course, they're the ones engaging the people to deliver the service. Um, but they're also paying a lot less money than you have to for BC Sport. Um, I did find some of the camera angles a bit odd where there was action taking place. I think we missed a goal actually in one of the Irish matches because they were showing um, either highlights of, of the previous failed attack or a seagull sat on uh, a lamppost. Um, there was a lot of odd direction on that front. Um, but on the other hand, I found it very good to be able to hear a lot of what was going on on the pitch. Um, and uh, I think the, the commentary was fantastic. The, the analysis um, from the experts was really good. Um, so overall, I was very happy with it. Uh, just be good to have maybe some more options on where to watch it. Yeah, just one very quick point. The, the dog making jokes, I'm pretty sure, is the Investec dog, so don't be too mean to them. They are the England women's sponsor. You mean Vitality. Uh, sorry, Vitality, of course I do. <laughs> write that down, Taff fixed. Both blacklisted. Yeah, that's that's me off. Um, and the other thing that really wound me up was picking the most valued player of the game rather than the player of the game. It, it just, to me, sounds stupid. So oh, it's, the, it's the player of the game, not the most valued player in the game. It's something that's transferring over from American sports. Mm. I, I don't think it really fit. Would you have liked to see who Helen would have picked for Muppet of a match? I mean, always. <laughs> yeah, no, I do agree. It did seem quite odd. I'm sure there, there must have been a good reason for it to, to, to use MVP instead of man of a match or player of a match uh, or woman of a match. Um, maybe it's a translation thing. Who knows? Um, but anyway, so one, as I said, one of the good things for me that came out of the coverage was the ability to hear the umpires. Um, I make no secret of the fact uh, I take my umpiring relatively seriously and, and enjoy it. And um, I know Keeley will actually, I think the Davis is due to go out, be doing a review of things, which will be fascinating to listen to. Um, there was some criticism of the umpires about the, the video referrals. And I had a little lover's tiff with Russell uh, about whether or not a penalty stroke should have been awarded against England. But um, I'm, I'm confident it was the correct decision reached by the, uh, the video umpire. Um, but yeah, what, what were your thoughts on the umpiring at the event? Yeah, I, th- I thought the umpiring was really good. I think there was a lot of challenging decisions that have come out where I think if you're not a high enough level umpire, you won't understand them, which is why I had to ask Ely what the right decision was. Um, But I mean, there was also really interesting stuff. So I think at one point, the video referral suggested that it should be a penalty stroke and the on-pitch umpires both agreed that it shouldn't have been because he was moving away from goal when he was fouled. So it wasn't really a goal scoring opportunity. So it should just be a penalty corner. And I think that's the first time that I can remember seeing them not take the video referral suggestion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say, and there was also, like, as I say, a few other cases where people have been c- criticising, complaining um, on social media about certain decisions being given. And I think the on-pitch decision or the video referral was the correct one. And it's just one of those things where 
people just don't understand the rules well enough at times. Yeah, I think um, I mean, there was one where I saw people laying into, I think it was Lorene Del Forge. Um, <laughs> and I suspect they're not perhaps fully aware that this is not just probably the best umpire in the world, but also a national champion outfield and an indoor international. So has some comprehension of the rules, uh, as well as other angles we couldn't see. Um, so I did find that a bit funny. But yeah, as, as I said, like it's it's been amazing to listen to them, to, sort of hand, to hear the humour, say, of how Celine will try and defuse a situation, uh, how Alison might come a little bit harder on people about... Uh, needing to, to start you know stop mucking about step back and do your job um getting getting people in the goal for a short corner on time um but i think as an english uh, british person for me it was particularly pleasing to see uh, i think sean edwards it was his first i think top level tournament and he did brilliantly from what i saw um and then uh, dan barstow getting the final uh, first English umpire in a long time, I think, to do that. We've had obviously Sarah Wilson and Andy Mayer do another do a number, but they're up from Scotland, so with an English hat on. Uh, really good to see that. Um, and also the fact is that the vast majority, if not all of them, have not umpired in front of crowds in a very long time, and to handle uh, very uh, partisan noise at times, uh, having had a year and a bit with none, uh, really speaks volumes of of how the umpires did and how. They've stepped up to the plate big time there um, in, in, in exceptionally unusual circumstances as well, because they don't have the benefit of like the teams do spending so much time together. They do have some time together, but there's a lot of loneliness. And in fact, one of them today has commented about how weird going to Tokyo will be from not being able to interact with their friends and not being able to go and watch matches because they have to be um, sat in their hotel behaving themselves rather than enjoying the event. Um, so I think they're a big credit to the sport and have done very well there. And uh, and also it's worth picking out the fact the um, NPUA and the Belgian Federation promoted the work of the umpires and the technical delegates so well. So is there anything else if we get to the and finally section? No, I think it's on to and finally. Uh, well, from myself, uh, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I think the Euro Hockey Federation did a great job of delivering it. There's lots of... Uh, excitement disappointment food for thought uh my only real regret is not being able to be there in person but hopefully uh, the next one for me will be probably the um euro hockey league uh cup taking place at dragons now what are your reflections overall on the on the tournament yeah i think overall i think it's been great to have this high level hockey being broadcast being able to watch it i think the crowd really does make a difference as much as i'm used to watching hockey with next to no people there i think having that passionate crowd there really did make some of the games much more exciting uh, especially around the two finals with the the home nations being champions i think it does kind of take it to kind of the next level having that that fan support behind them so we have of course one final thing the most important thing really for any uh, true hockey fan uh, it's not the on pitch action that matters it's who's got the best stash so i did run a series of polls on twitter um and i could take the popular vote but i'm going to ignore it because i completely disagree with most of it um so who stood out to you in terms of having good kit so we've talked about them before the french kit i think is excellent both the home and away shirt they they really represent france well um incorporating the the flag into the design i think the the dutch blue kit i think looks fantastic uh, i'm a big fan of that um and then i think we have to get to the the negative the england white shirt especially but both kits are just 
I don't like the design. Is this just the men's or is it women's as well? Uh, just the men's. I think the women's kit is more straightforward mm. uh, and clean cut, but the men's shirts had uh, like fading design on the shoulders and on the back slightly, and I just I did not like it. I don't think it worked. I think it, it to me looked like they got about 40 to 50 percent through the design and had to turn it in yeah i think that's fair to me i think i described it earlier before we started this recording as looking like a league two football kit that got rejected um not a fan of it at all uh, but also bizarre that the women's one looks so much better um yeah. i will say i did really like the incorporation of the vitality colors into the goalkeeping kit for the women um ireland of course is always a favorite uh great stash uh the french kit i'm Looking forward to seeing it in person because it looks fantastic. Definitely agree on the blue Belgian, uh, sorry, the blue Dutch kit. Um, not a fan of the orange one, but the blue one is nice. Uh, and I, do you know what? I did quite like the simplicity of both the Russian and the Italian kit. I, I, I don't mind a classic look. Um, it doesn't always have to be fanfare and jazz everywhere. It can just be a good, solid, plain hockey kit. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the undisputed champions, really, for the for the title that everyone actually wanted going into this tournament is definitely the French stash. They win the Euro stash cup. So what you're saying, in a, in a shock result, the French do fashion well? <laughs> and the Italians are a close second. <laughs> cool. Well, on that, thank you very much for joining me. And uh, tot zines.